On this episode of John Talks, I catch up with my buddy Rasiel Guevara, and you won't meet a nicer guy in the business than Raz. When I was at MSG Varsity, I was covering a Cardinal Hayes football game and live tweeting it. He followed me, I saw his bio, followed him back. When I got the producer-editor position at MLB.com, I put two and two together, and we've been friends ever since. This episode is one of my favorites. We talk about Cardinal Hayes, his time at MLB.com, and producing features with Yasiel Puig and the late Jose Fernandez, along with a few other things. Now stepping up to the plate, Roz Guevara. I was actually thinking the other day of how you and I sort of first met and I was covering a Cardinal Hayes game, and you followed me because we weren't mm-hmm. MSG Varsity at the time was not streaming the game, and my Twitter following blew up. Um, and I, I want to say that you're the reason for it, or the Cardinal yeah. Hayes fan base is for that. <laughs> and then it was just so weird when I actually met you at MLB.com, uh, and yeah. I was like, oh wait, that's the guy, um, yeah. you know, that's the guy that followed me, and I, I think I followed you back because I saw MLB in the title. Um, do you still follow follow Cardinal Hayes? Um, like how, religi- how's it re- religiously, um, uh, I guess a little bit of a backstory about, do you know specifically my Cardinal Hayes connection or no? Well, I know your brother, but. Well, even before my brother, I, I worked at Cardinal Hayes for about three years. I was the media director out of the Martin Scorsese Media Center. Um, and I just, you know, the wonderful community that Cardinal Hayes is, is so involved in everything athletics. They're actually super successful in football and basketball. And, um, and, and I just like followed it. And then my brother ended up going there. Um, and then it kind of just stuck with me. And, and, and you, like you said, like they are jonesing for any sort of media coverage. So any, anybody that goes out there and puts the effort um, to kind of tweet about the games or, or, or kind of talk about the games and they're going to get a, at least a couple hundred followers from the Cardinal Hayes uh, football community. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I mean, it was really something else. And I never really got the sense of a whole community um, mm-hmm. before then, before when I went to Cardinal Hayes, uh, the first game that I covered for them uh, was Cardinal Hayes, St. Anthony's football game. I was announcing that game and I went to both practices and I don't know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a difference with all boys schools versus co-ed schools. And it's not a knock. It's just different. Um, but everybody at Cardinal, Hey, shake your hand, uh, looks you in the eye. How are you? You know, very cordial. And it, it was just very awesome. They ended up winning that game and I don't root for sides and, you know, I try to be impartial, but it's hard not to root for those guys. Um, I mean, it's, and then, and, and yeah, I mean, and they're, they're such a, um, and not to deviate, not to go into too much into the history of Cardinal Hayes and high school yeah. football, but, um, they are they are an institution, man. They they've been around for almost eighty years. Um, they have a tremendous alumni base. They have, you know, Mars Scorsese, obviously, um, uh, Regis Philbin, uh, George Carlin, uh, Jamal Mashburn, and people and uh, one one of the minority owners of the Boston Celtics, uh, Cardinal Hayes grad, um, and they're all super involved in the school, and and they take great pride in in keeping a school in the middle of the poorest congressional district in the country, right? In the South Bronx, uh, mm-hmm. stones throws away from, from Yankee stadium. And they take great pride in, in how, kind of keeping that school afloat through their charitable endeavors, through their alumni fundraising, through the, I mean, if you look around like all the Catholic schools before, before this pandemic, and I'm sure this, uh, this global pandemic is going to impact a lot of NGOs, a lot of Catholic schools, a lot of uh, people that rely on donors and donor funding. Um, a lot of those industries are going to go, are going to be really, really hurting once once we get out of this. But um, but the school before this was thriving when other Catholic schools in New York City um, are struggling, right? Zaverian, uh, Mount St. Michael, even schools in Manhattan are, are struggling to, especially particularly Catholic schools, are struggling to keep their doors open. Um, but Cardinal Hayes... Um, due to the, like a involved alumni donorship and, and just, you know, just great, great um, camaraderie. Um, they have a saying called up Hayes and all its loyal men. That's, that's the, that's what you would hear back. Whenever you see anybody with a Cardinal Hayes logo, um, you say up Hayes and they'll respond and all its loyal men. Um, and it's, I've, I've, I've had a bumper sticker in my car from Cardinal Hayes from my time there. And I've been stopped in the street, people honking their horns whenever they see me in like random places I was at a in Georgetown when I took my son to school um, for a school visit, and like some guy was like honking his horn behind me, and it's pretty kind of neat to see 
um, sort of like this collegial alumni kind of feel um, uh, with uh, all these Cardinal Hayes columns. And when I met Willie Colon, um, I completely forgot that he w went to Cardinal Hayes. And um, I don't know what, I met him at a high school showcase in Jersey. And we have mutual friends. Um, I, I worked with uh, Matt Sims for a little bit on a couple of projects and he's really good friends with Willie from their Jets days. And they, they overlapped a little bit. I think Sims was there for like, you know, training camp and a couple of preseason games and Willie was already on the Jets and they got into it. They were talking crap about like Cardinal Hayes, New York football <laughs> or whatever. Um, and now that I'm on the New Jersey side, because my son went to Cardinal Hayes, but my son went to Bergen Catholic. So that's a completely different beast. Jersey football is, right. it's insane, man. It's like something that I, I thought Cardinal Hayes and the camaraderie over there was insane. I went to a fucking Don Bosco game Bergen Catholic game and it was like there was tailgating like kids tailgating with like orange juice and <laughs> chocolate milk <laughs> um, but yeah that, that's what it was yeah that's that's what it is man and it's like um but anyway yeah it's you'll you'll find these like these local high schools and 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 all over the country you'll you'll see Hayes alums and Bergen Catholic alums and it's it's a great way to bring a community together um as the people kind of move away they, that that sense of um, that bond st sticks with everyone. Where did you go to high school? I went to school in the city. So uh, I went to a public school um, that's in, in Harlem, 116th Street, and the FDR Drive. Everyone that's driven on the FDR has seen this gigantic building um, uh, that's NCSM. It used to be the old Benjamin Franklin building. Um, its claim to fame was that uh, uh, Cameron and Mason Betha went there, Mackay <laughs> Pfeiffer, and like, Damon Dash, but other than that, it's just um, a pretty ordinary high school, and we didn't have that. We we had basketball team and what masqueraded as a football team, um, but that's it, man. There was no, there was no um, outside of like the small nucleus of like friends that you would have. With, it didn't have that sort of like, oh, the alums are coming back, or you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't, right didn't give you that experience of belonging to something larger than yourself. And, and I kind of envy kids who go to schools like that. Um, and then I went to a SUNY, I'm sorry, I went to a CUNY here in the city. So I didn't have that college alumnus kind of, you know, either. So right. when my, when my brother and when I worked at Cardinal Hayes and when my, my son went to Berkeley Catholic, that was my first like introduction to that. Like, Oh shit, this is like, how people are, I guess, you know, like when you go to Penn State all day, oh, you bump into Penn State grads all over the country mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, Penn State, yeah. Or like Florida Gators and stuff, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, no, I went to the city, uh, very, very wonderful school. Um, but yeah, it was a typical New York City experience. Now, nothing out of the ordinary. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Like you mentioned, you went to Brooklyn College, um, which is obviously small. And CUNYAC's done a better job now of their championships, but it's not at the level yeah. of some of these primetime high school games. Um, mm -hmm. When you got the job at MSG Varsity, and for those that don't know, obviously, uh, they used to cover a lot of high school games. I, I mean, MSG Varsity was a big deal back yeah. in the day. And I remember when I was uh, a junior in high school, um, how big it was. And I went to Christ the King, which obviously was, mm -hmm. you know, the basketball uh, Mecca in Brooklyn, Queens, and whenever they would play Rice, um, those were yeah. big weeks. You know, we knew MSG Varsity was coming. Um, you worked there. Did, yeah. Was that, I know you just mentioned, you know, your son, Cardinal Hayes, and all of that, and really getting that full grasp, but you didn't get that grasp when you were at MSG Varsity? Uh, I'm just um, not really. Um, okay. And yes, and no, and, and first of all, RIP, Rice High School. Um, yeah, closes. seriously. <laughs> Um, kind of bummed out that that school closed. That school was actually about ten minutes away from where I grew up in in Harlem. So, um, but yeah, no, that, that's a good, great, great point. When I was at MSG Varsity, it, it it did not afford me that opportunity because we were so we were so spread out, and we did not just cover football and basketball. Um, MSG Varsity was and still is a customer retention tool, right? It was never intended to be a uh, uh, a company that's going to turn a profit for mm. for and it was always meant to be as a come as a as a an entity that would allow existing optimum customers or cablevision customers 
to keep their cable service, right? So if you, John Perez, were had a, you know, Cablevision, which is now Optimum, Cablevision account, and your son went to the local Mineola High School, um, not a big powerhouse in football, maybe they are, I'm not sure, but not a big powerhouse football. And if the if you were to get one football game every two years, right, that would that would make you retain that cable service. And that's kind of what MSG Varsity was. And they stumbled upon something a lot that could have made money. Uh, and I remember the first year, at the end of the first year, there were, there was questions whether we were going to retain the same operating budget, um, retain the same number of games that we were going to cover, um, expand into other ne networks. And, and they relied on the existing grid of the cable news channels to kind of cover some of the areas that we couldn't reach out to. Um, and then the MSG executives decided, it's like, no, this is, this is kind of working. Let's double down on it. Um, let's hire more people to not only cover these games, but to kind of build these relationships with these local schools. And they created what was called the um, Outreach Media Training Program, where they would send a whole bunch of different people to go to these individual schools and create a student-generating content platform um, relationship where the schools themselves would generate content that would then feed back into the MSG Varsity app. I mean, tell you, it was kind of pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, and it was a shame that it kind of didn't bubble up because it it kind of it kind of could have been what overtime is now. It could have been what a lot of these niche social media, high school sports um, endeavors are popping up all over the place because they are they are a a, a thriving market and and you know, MSG Varsity was a little bit ahead of the curve, but then kind of just fumbled the ball at the one yard line because they decided not to not to monetize it. They wanted to keep it as a solely as a customer retention tool. Um, and when you do that, when you make that decision, you you limit yourself in terms of profits. And when you limit yourself in terms of profits, you you think twice about any expenditure that you do. Right. So if you you know, if you have a store and you're giving away all the the materials and the, the things in your store for free, you're going to think twice. It's like, why would I expand my store if I'm giving everything away for free? Yes, I'm doing something good for the community, but I'm not going to want to expand because it's, there's no profit. Even though the benefit is, you know, you're, you're feeding a community, that's kind of what MSG Varsity was. They were giving away content for free to kind of keep people incentivizing people to retain a service, but there was no direct profit for fear of it looking like they were going to, to make money off high school kids. And that was the big fear. It was a PR fear. It was a PR fear. It was a, a, a like, they didn't want to make it seem like they were taking advantage of all these local schools. And then negotiations with the PSAL, which the basketball for PSAL was super huge. Um, their championship game is at the guard was the garden. I don't know if it still is. Um, and they kind of just faltered. And, and again, man, they dropped the ball. They came out with yeah. an app. They came out with an app where kids would shoot content. Think about this. This was 2009, 2000, it was 10 years ago. They had an app where kids could shoot content, upload highlights of themselves like and all this stuff, yep. like think about this how logical this is they had a website that was um arranged by by regions it was locally and, and you could only access it if you had a, a cablevision login account like a cablevision account they would give you a login and you would be able to access it and watch games on demand full games highlights and then we were we we you know we were we were going to the schools and kind of develop these relationships like I did with Cardinal Hayes where um, they would generate content, they would do, you know, interviews. They would do, you know, like we would give, we would, we would give, we we, we used to give a uh, iMac, a couple of handheld cameras, audio equipment, mic flags, and it was it, it was pretty groundbreaking, and it and it just was was you know fumbled fumbled dr dramatically where they could have been overtime, they could have expanded into this gigantic and the fact that the brand is still even around now is remarkable they kind of folded it into the local news 12 
um, right. channels. And you know this because you you kind of you you I'm not you know I'm not saying anything that you're not familiar with um, because obviously your experience with them. But can you imagine like when if you would have came on board and this company was completely digitized and it was completely social media driven and and it, on top of that you still had a linear yeah. channel and a website channel and the right. the potential would have been limitless for something like this people are trying to create this now and msg mm-hmm. mr dolan mr dolan <laughs> had this james dolan had this in 2008 2009 like and and they just didn't know what to do with it right and, and you've got all that goodwill think about it you know going into the fall of 2009 i was entering my senior year of high school if MSG Varsity was around, had they gone to Christ the King or, you know what, maybe I should have been more active. I was too, you know, focused on playing baseball and hoping to get a scholarship. But anyway, you know, knowing what I know now, imagine if I would have had an opportunity to cover my own high school games, right. you know, and just get those repetitions. It just would have made the transition into college broadcasting a little bit smoother for me. And, you know, I have no regrets with the way that it's gone now, but. No, I agree. But yeah, MSG Varsity, man, I, I just feel like, and, and now News 12 Varsity, I just can't believe how much they dropped the ball. And I get your point on you don't want to make money off of high school kids because, you know, just to be as black and white or as bare minimum as possible, you're really just covering, you know, a 15-year-old's after-school activity. You know, so I understand, like, not making money off of that. But you know, they folded, I want to say, or they, they had the dramatic layoffs the second time, because I know they had for you um, early on, going into January of 2017. That's when everybody's contract or the full-timers dissolved uh, and a bunch of really good people got laid off. And, you know, I mean, Christ the King is, you know, from the basketball standpoint, Christ the King was good. Stepanak was uh, going to federations. Luhai was good. They had all of these good teams in their own backyard, not even New Jersey or, or Westchester, like, you know, like, which, which is what they could have gone into. And I just don't know what happened. Um, I still think the worst thing they ever did was getting rid of Mike Quick. Uh, yeah. If there's any expert in any sport ever, it's Mike Quick. It's not yeah. even close. And he's still, he can, and he's still, he, I, yeah. and he's still around, man. He's still around, and he knows everybody, anybody, and everybody. He he's friends with. There's always a six degrees of separation with Mike Quick, and they that that relationship really soured. I mean, they just lost a lot of credibility because when you go these 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 communities, right? And we keep coming back to this word about community, and a lot of these schools are these individual communities. And these communities have existed before MSG Varsity, before Overtime, before, I actually, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about this in a little while, but I actually was working um, on a, with this new startup last year um, that kind of wanted to do exactly what, what I was saying about MSG Varsity. And, and it was a social media platform um, for high school athletes. Um, and they wanted to enter and they wanted to penetrate these, 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 these schools. And I was like, you have to reach out to Mike quick. You have to like, get this guy on board. He will, he will lend you, you know, he will give you legitimacy. He will, he will allow you to enter places that you might not be able to or with a lot of these schools and a lot of these coaches. I mean, you people from the big North in New Jersey to the PSAL in Brooklyn, Staten Island, they know who Mike quick is. Why? Because he's been serving them. He's been serving and covering these com- these communities and these teams and these coaches for decades, and and if anybody is you know anybody is looking to start anything to do with high school sports, that would be a that would be your yeah that would be my first hire if I was ever in a position to fund something that would be my first hire um, because he is legitimately he is Mister High School Sports. Um, every yes. year he uh, he shows up at a uh, horseman school in, in in Riverdale in the Bronx, a very wealthy private school their like tuition is like 70 grand or something um they do they partner up with manhattan college and they do a coaches versus cancer uh high school edition um right where they raise a ton of money um ray burrell who is the athletic director over at horace man wonderful man he has been doing this for 30 years 30 to 30 going over 30 years now and every year no matter what mike quick shows up not to not to cover a game, not to tweet the games. He just shows up. And and I saw him there a few times. And then he was like, hey, man, I just, you know, he 
just goes to support. And that's what you yeah. do when you are part of these, you know, these circles and these communities. It's like, that's just what you do. Um, not to like sell anything or pitch or sell himself, right? He's just, that's what he would, he would just show up and support. And, and, and that's kind of, kind of where a lot of these companies just fail to make that connection where you really have to penetrate kind of the, these, these, these communities in, in a, um, and, and again, MSG varsity successfully did that. That's what, I, that's why mm -hmm. they successfully did that. Uh, if you, John Perez went to a high school football game with the MSG varsity, uh, polo and you were recording interviews, people were like, Oh, that's MSG varsity. Oh, yeah. that guy's tweeting updates to the game. Oh, we got to follow him because he's a legitimate news source. You know, he's not just some rando from the street. And that still kind of exists to this day, but at a much smaller level. Um, it, it's just, I'm always curious to know. I'm always curious to, to kind of think about where it could have been had, um, had that those limitations were not imposed. I, I mean, it could have it been gener generating a ton of money and a ton of profits. Right. And it could have like spawned into you know, all these different networks in Texas or, or California or all these different places, Florida, high school football, mm -hmm. MSG varsity division. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, um, but I did get to meet a whole bunch of great people, um, a whole bunch of people who I consider great friends, um, you know, Mike Lardner, Larissa Lardner, the people who used to run, um, the network back then, Saul Steinberg, um, who used to work at a, a NBA and he knows a lot of like the old MLB, NBA crossover people mm -hmm. from, from back in the day. Um, but yeah, and I, John Welber used to work. I didn't cross yep. paths with John, but my buddy, John, you know, John. He used to work there as well, and and um, very talented people. Um, uh, who else was there? Uh, Elio well, Danny Velez. Acevedo when I was there. Elio Danny Velez. Acevedo, yeah. Danny Acevedo and I kind of worked. I saw his name in emails, mm -hmm. and then I just never put two and two together. Kind of like with you a little bit when you started working there. I was like, where do I know this guy from? I was like, oh, Twitter. I follow him on Twitter because he covers like you know. <laughs> and the same thing with um, with with Ace. Um, he was always in emails because he was a shooter for Saul. And um, I was like, hey, where have I seen this guy? Like, I would, like, we worked like a half a season. And I'm like, where have I, where do I know this guy from? Where do I? And I never, it didn't occur to me until he, like, told me. He's like, oh, you work at MSG Varsity too, right? He's like, oh, yeah, you too. And that happened with, like, a couple other people. Um, this old VO guy that used to be there. I can't remember. John, um, John Louder. I don't know if you were, that was probably before your time. No, that was before me, yeah. And then, um, oh, uh, Ed Cohen. Ed Cohen used yep. to be an MSG Varsity guy, now the radio voice of the New York Knicks. Um, Steve uh, Gelbs. Steve, right. I mean, a whole bunch of people. Sean Orion, um, uh, Bob Pappas, a uh, whole bunch of people, man, who kind of like ended up in a whole bunch of different places. Um, kind of, I was introduced to them through MSG Varsity. Yeah, fun, fun times. I don't know maybe if it's just me or if I'm a jinx. But I remember when I got uh, when I got hired at MSG Varsity as an on-air writer, jack of all trades type of guy. I said, "Okay, like this is how it starts. Like I, you know, this is the route to get to professional sports. This is what you know Ed Cohen did. This is what Steve Gelbs did. And then, uh, you know, that didn't work out the way that it worked out. And then at MLB.com, when Tim McMaster, a uh, mutual friend, great guy, uh, reached out to me and said, "Hey, do you want to do VOs?" I said, "Okay, this is the future. This is how." This is how it starts. Maybe in a few years, I'm hosting some podcasts and maybe I'm going to spring training and I'm helping covering the World Series and All-Star Games. So, um, yeah, I mean, but that's that's just the business. That's just the way it is, you know, unfortunately. And it just sucks. Like, there's no better way of saying it. Um, it just sucks sometimes. And, and you just meet so many people and, and, and we all work at the same place. And I don't know, the, the circles are very small and, you know, and I, I don't want to get off into a whole tangent. Um, there are some fun things that I did want to speak to you about too. Um, and I know that we've touched upon it at times and there was always, you know, the jokes in the office at MLB.com about how, you know, you were Puig's best friends and, you know, you got to, got to cover him. Um, I'm curious, how did you actually get into that role? How, who, who approached you about going on these remote shoots and, and spending time with these athletes? So before, obviously my, before I arrived at MLB, I was already a field producer, um, not only with MSG Varsity, but I, I spent a little bit of time of um, ML MTV. Um, and so I was already, 
I, I knew I knew the field, so to speak, not to the level that I probably know now, but I, I was familiar with kind of working with a freelance crew or, or, or dropping into a city and kind of being able to kind of um, navigate and more importantly, come back with the footage. Right. Um, so I, I mentioned that in my interview and and just didn't think nothing of it. Um, I was never um, when I when I was hired, the old format for MLB was editors and producers were separated, all working under a coordinating producer. So those two roles were, were separate. Um, the producer would, would feel the shot sheet, would you know pick the plays, um, tee them up for an editor who would come in and, and, and lay down the edit for you. Um, the producer would put a first set of eyes on it and then send it over to the coordinating producer who would then approve the highlight. There were no, like those supervisor distinctions did not really um, evolve. It didn't evolve into that later on. So um, once we did the switchover, um, and I was never, I was never a, like a trained editor. I did not, I didn't even like participate in any multimedia stuff while I was in school. When I was in school, I was studying um, political science. I was, I was going to work in elections. Um, uh, like that was my c career trajectory. I was involved in, in politics and grassroots organizations. And I, and I felt like that's where I was going to end up. Um, but somewhere along the line, like what a professor told me, he's like, hey, man, before you like embark on this, take an internship. Um, and this is a great piece of advice. One of the best pieces of advice that I got. Um, actually, the professor is still at Brooklyn College, Paisley Cura. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man who uh, one of the leading experts in, in transgender um, uh, public policy. And he is a pioneer, very, very smart man. So he gives me this piece of advice. He's like, hey, take an internship in, in outside of your field of study, right? And so uh, I take an in, I call an old friend who works at CBS. Um, she gets me an internship at CBS College Sports. Um, but it, was, it was transitioning out of CSTV into CBS College Sports because CBS had just acquired it. And they threw me into the, um, to the live studio research department. And I went in there, man, it was exhilarating to kind of just work a part of live television and, and kind of just typing words up that, you know, the anchor would then read. Um, and I work with Adam Zucker, who's actually still there, and Brian Jones, who's an analyst there, um, David Pollack, who's now on ESPN. And I work with like all these like crazy environment where it was so fast action and so, so quick. And I was like, oh man, I kind of want to do this, right? So I ended up being a double major in political science and broadcast journalism. I got hired right out the bat. Um, so I was still working in school. Uh, I was still going to school and working at CBS. Um, and then I met somebody there who, who got me work at, uh, at Sirius. And then I bumped in, whatever. It kind of just spiraled into that. Um, so coming with all this knowledge and coming with all this experience coming into MLB, I, I, I mentioned that in my interview. Like six months after that, they needed somebody who spoke Spanish uh, to go on a shoot. And um, being bilingual was truly like the only reason anyone gave me a shot at going to the field. Um, I, wor I worked on a piece with Jose Fernandez during his rookie year. Um, I wasn't even sent alone. I was like, I went with um, um, my boss at the time. So he was like babysitting me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but once I got there, I, like I took control of the shoot. I, I, I coordinated the freelance shooters. I, I, you know, I, I made the, the, I made the plan for the day. Uh, I, I, you know, I, not only the, sh the, the run of show for the production, but also like logistical things such as kind of like dumping footage in between shoots, ensuring that the footage is backed up and mailing drives back to New York so that we wouldn't lose anything. And, and kind of just essentially, I took control because I knew that that was the only way um, they would allow me to continue to do that. Um, had I just gone there and just being the translator, it would have just been that one and done or whenever I'm needed. But by me going there and kind of just proving that I knew what I was doing and proving that I kind of belonged uh, outside of being bilingual, um, being a capable field producer is something that any, literally anybody can do. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, it, uh, at the time it was something rare for people to do. It didn't, it, it didn't mean that I was like smarter or 
or or anything or being bilingual helped but being able to kind of take control of a, of a shoot um and kind of just you know being able to control you know effectively communicate with a whole bunch of different people has probably been my biggest asset in my entire career um and it definitely served me well in that role as field producer and kind of just led to other jobs um after that when we that franchise was picked up right after we did that jose fernandez piece which was part of a uh it used to be called in, uh in his own words um it was like a both bilingual it was like an english and Spanish. so think about how difficult this is to be able to do a shoot with a bilingual player but to have to do it twice to have to do it right. once in english and once in spanish um it's a unique skill set that not everyone had to do and then not only that they gave me the footage he's like all right here you edit it when you get back to new york so it was completely like my own production almost like here um but uh we, and then it got picked up and we did a few more and i ended up kind of covering all those we did one with irving santana when he was in kansas city um we did one with um jose abreu when he signed with the white Sox, and it kind of did that just kind of uh, spiraled into other shoots and then i ended up working you know all-star games I ended up working the postseason. I ended up working spring training, um, and it, and it was a it was a weird dynamic. It was a weird dynamic because um, I had a regular job. I was you know coordinating producer or supervisor or whatever, um, and then every so often they would just pluck me out and send me um, on these shoots on these remote shoots um, for sometimes two or three days. Sometimes, like with the Puig shoot, they called me. Literally at seven o'clock in the morning, they say, "Hey, we need you to go to LA um, this afternoon, and <laughs> the shoot is tomorrow." And like it put me in a position where I, I, I would never say no for fear of not being sent out again, right? And that eventually happened. There was a shoot where I couldn't go, and it was a bilingual shoot, and I couldn't make it. And then eventually, I got replaced with somebody else who. Who also spoke? Not a, it was um, the social team. The Spanish social team ended up going. Right. So and then that happens, right? I got Wally pipped. I uh, you say no that one time, and then somebody else jumps in there. We like, well, I can do it, and and they they look towards those people. So there's a lot that I want to unpack there, and that's yep. the perfect answer. And my first question is, who taught you to have that initiative? Did, was it a family member? Was it somebody that you interned or worked with or somebody that you saw in the field? Who was that inspiration for you? Well, um, that's a great question, right? That's, um, and it's something that I've thought about um, a lot, right? Um, because that word, like work ethic or like drive, right? It comes, it, it, you often think about like, well, I have kids. I have an 18-year-old stepson and I have an eight-year-old boy. And they are, you, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to teach them how to work, not teaching them a, a skill set or not teaching them or guiding them in a particular industry or, but when it all comes down to them, it's, I've spent a ton of time teaching them how to work. And what I mean by that is, um, Number one, first and foremost, right? Attention to detail. Being incredibly detail oriented will serve you in whatever job that you do. And and I've and I've spent a lot of time in making them aware that the details matter, right? Um, and number two, being reliable, being reliable, being able to help people, being being a person that other people kind of look towards whenever they need something, right? If I need needed something and I think of John immediately, then that means you're, you, John Perez, are doing a good job because you are the first person that I think of whenever I need whatever it is that I need done. Um, and that speaks well of you and your work ethic, right? And those two things are incredibly important. But lastly, that, that drive to want to complete a task, complete a task well, complete a task um, without being asked are those three very important things that I've, I've spent a ton of time kind of cultivating and kind of just, you know, planting those seeds in their brains that that is how you operate as an employee, because that is how you're going to operate as a manager. And, and that is how you're going to operate as a 
hopefully a boss of some sort of corporation or, or institution or whatever. And that is how you're going to operate as a, as a, as a, as a parent, as a husband, as a, you know, somebody that who can be relied upon. Um, and so developing these like life philosophies and, and, and kind of just spending some time thinking about these things, it, it kind of leads you to like, well, where did this come from? I, I, I would love to be like, yeah, this was innate in me. You know, I've had this my entire right. life, but it's, that's not the truth. And it starts with my parents, right? Really, it's just my parent, my mother. I was raised by a single mother, you know, in New York City. Uh, I'm first generation. I was actually born in Mexico City. Um, we immigrated to the United States when I was very, very young. And that kind of drive, that kind of comes from like, well, if we don't work, we don't eat. And if we don't eat, we starve, you know? Right. That sort of pressure, that sort of kind of like, you know that sort of uh, I, don't, I don't know it's it's that struggling to survive is much different than struggling to succeed right right and i i grew up struggling to survive so that my kids could struggle to succeed um and that's where the work ethic comes from and that's where you 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 don't think twice about you know, helping a camera op carry his tripod when you're in the middle of a shoot. You don't think twice about, you know, getting up early to make sure that there's a case of water for the crew because you know it's going to be hot. You don't think twice about bringing an extra hard drive to copy your footage. You don't think twice about spending two or three hours researching the background of the subject that you're going to interview without anyone having to tell you because you know you need to know these things. Spending time thinking about, you know, what, you know, pre-production, spending time kind of just scouring through their Instagram pages and their Twitter pages and learning the names of their kids and learning the names of their wives and seeing if they have pets and seeing what their interests are. Because that is what you do when you want to do the job and you want to do the job well. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you couldn't have said it any better. Um, the one thing that, and you know, I was just thinking about our nights together at MLB.com. The one thing that really stood out to me was uh, and I've only told this to a handful of people over there. Like I struggled immensely when I first got the editing job over there and I was so bad. I knew I was terrible in my interview on the edit test. Um, I mean, I could name baseball players till tomorrow comes, but that didn't mean I was a good editor and that's what you guys were looking for. Um, and there were times where I had screw ups. I'd see a lot of B's at the end of my thing. And if you were the, if you were the supervisor, you Roz, at least when I was early on, You'd come over, you had a little note, wrote it down, but you introduced yourself. So I wasn't afraid to come to you in the future. I mean, I'm still afraid to fail, but that's just how it is. I don't like doing it. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, but, you know, whether, whether it's you, whether it's your mom giving it to you, I'm very grateful for that. Just, you know, on a human element. And I think that's something that, you know, it's something that I don't see at the network now. There's other places where I work too, where kids are fresh out of college and I'm not blaming them and I'm not blaming their parents or anything, but nobody gets to know each other anymore. Like for instance, there was one week where I was helping train uh, these three editors who just got recently hired and, you know, we spent the whole week together. I gave them the lay of the land, you know, the next week, one of them passed me by in the hallway, didn't even think to say, Hey, how are you now? I'm not saying we're boys or anything or we're best friends, but Hey, I just spent a week with you. How's everything. How was your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's a lost art, and I know that that's it's something that really I'm going to tell my kids, and I'm sure you've already implored to yours. Oh no, it's it's incredibly important, especially when you're in the trenches with somebody working an overnight shift, regardless of whether it's baseball or it's a local Seven Eleven. It's a tough thing, and it's a and it's a tough thing that uh, that not a lot of people are equipped to do. Why make it more difficult by kind of insulating yourself? And some people, um, my nephew, my nephew worked at Major League, at, uh, was a PA at MLB. And um, um, my nephew, he's, he worked there for two seasons. Um, and at first, he, he wouldn't even come over to say hello to me. Um, and, and I kind of, like, respected that. I was like, all right, fine. You know, like, he wants to, like, you know, succeed on his own. Or, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I just didn't put too much mind to it. Um, but he failed to make even the most you know, like, you know, important relationships like with Jody or uh, they were like the PA coordinator, or like the right, managers. Right. When you fail to make those, even those kind of like basic relationships with the people who schedule you, and this is not me talking shit about my nephew because I love him to death. He's a wonderful kid. 
But when you fail to make even those basic connections with the people who are scheduling you, who are who hired you, who are specifically responsible for bringing you back, then you're not doing it right. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe, maybe you don't, there are some people who like, oh, I don't need to know John or I don't need to know Ross because they can't help me get in anywhere. Maybe I don't need to make those, maybe, maybe I don't need to work hard at that sort of relationship. But it, it, you're like, you're saying it's a lost art. People, some people don't even know how to talk to people. And, right. and like people don't know how to say hello or, or you know, where do you live or, or, you know, where, you know, who, what team do you root for? Like people, people don't even know how to do those things um, outside of being, you know, keyboard, like a conversation is, is, a, is a lost art, like you said. And it's, and it really is, it takes a lot of effort and people aren't just willing to put that effort. You know, people don't know, you know, like if you don't know, if the person who sits next to you every day, where they live, or if they're married, or if they're in a relationship, then it's it's tough for you to build a meaningful work environment with the people who are you're going to rely upon to kind of lend you a helping hand when you struggle, or who need your help when they struggle, right? Um, and part of that was I would always get up and go talk to people, especially when we introduced Slack. Um, and mm -hmm. prior to Slack, hip chat. Um, before that, it was that was the only community. And people make fun of me, like my buddy Rich McLeod is always making like <laughs> to this day he talks about my my paper notes and my uh, my um, uh, my fixes. Uh, on well, wait, let me notes. stop you there. Let me stop you there. You have to do it in his voice. You're not doing it justice. <laughs> oh, I'm terrible at the. I can't do his voice. <laughs> I, I don't even cry because I am so awful at it. Um, there are other people who are much better, and I don't know if you want to give it a shot. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's your story. No, but yeah, like that's that's the no. And and the good thing about the floor, at least that I liked, um, was that everyone was a ball buster, but we all had each other's back for the most part. Because, like you said, we were all in the trenches, you know. And like for instance, if my game went crazy. Um, but editor X, our favorite editor ever, uh, his game ended early. You know, he can help. He or she can help us. Um, so oh, that, that you was. Gotta, always... you, gotta, you gotta explain editor X. You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the story of editor X as well as you guys do. Like, there's still a lot of things that so, I. Whenever I there, whenever there, um, and this is not MLB Network. I only know the old MLB.com days. Obviously, yeah. Um, I don't want to get you in trouble with your current employer, but. When I was at MLB.com, um, whenever there was a call out, right? And this is what I'm talking about, like that trenches mentality. Um, people would not call out because they knew how it would hurt the people who had to, you know, if there was not a person willing to pick up that. If John calls out for a game X and no one's picking up that shift, the workload gets divided amongst the people who were are still working that day um and that was and <laughs> there was one time where it happened like four days in a row where not one but like two people would ca called out and then the shift the schedule would come out and it was like you know yankees red sox uh the editor in charge would be editor x and then <laughs> it would <laughs> it would fall into like the the people who were working that day to kind of divvy up the, the the remaining you know part of the work and it was and it was a diff it was a very difficult, you know, juggling act sometimes. Um, and there were some people willing to kind of pick up the slack, um, whether they were paid or not. Some people were just like weren't wouldn't be willing to deal with the extra headache of another game, um, getting more fixes or notes or whatever when you're trying to leave. And you understand it. it's not like one method. It was more of a failure on the system itself. It wasn't the failure of the people working. It was a failure on the system that relied on freelance workers, um, you know, and it still does, and it still happens in a lot of places. And it wasn't until I left MLB, and this is not me shit-talking MLB, but it wasn't until I left MLB that I realized that that is not uh, an appropriate, sustainable, you know, work environment, right? And it's not, um, you can just point to the fact of all the people who left there who had succeeded in other places, you know, the Pete McCarthy's, the Ed Cohen's, you know, the Tim McMaster's, and that's just the VO side. There's 
hella editors and working on dope ass projects all over. We had a guy, um, um, we had a we had like two Columbia grads working at the same time, who like were these brilliant dudes. You know what I'm saying? Who were working at the same time on the same floor. Um, you know, just like we had some really talented people. Um, there was a guy, uh, one of the one of my buddies, who was a Columbia grad, who was a writer, who was now like, you know, writing documentaries and like fucking dope ass articles about like the immigrant experience in California, and he's like traveled to Mexico and like he's doing some cool ass shit, but like because he couldn't get a flash frame right for like people thought like he was an idiot, and I'm like, yo, dude, have you ever spent half a, like a spent 20 minutes talking to this guy and like the perception between like your editing skill and your level of enthusiasm for baseball um directly relating to your likability in that environment was tough for me sometimes um like there were some really nice people that were treated very very poorly because they you know couldn't you know get a tease right or you know what I'm saying? Or like they kept getting black, black frames and edits or or their music was too loud. Um, that really just kind of crushed my soul a little bit um, in all my time working there. Well, and I've noticed too, when I've edited at other places, um, there will be times where like, for instance, I'll edit a piece for John Jay. And the cool thing about John Jay is they let me be the one man band. So I, I set up the sh- the, sh- uh, the shots. Uh, I set up the shots, I interview the athletes, I edit it, everything, A to B, or A to Z. And I'll show my boss the clip, and I'll watch it along with him, even though I hate doing that. And I'll notice one flash frame in it, and I'll say, this is wonderful, this is great, put it on the website now. And like, I, you know, I have it, you know, it's like PTSD, where it's like, oh no, that's got one black frame, that's got one flash frame, like, this is terrible, don't send it out, we're gonna get in trouble. Um, You know, and, and and unfortunately, like that happens, like, right. Baseball players, they strike out, you know, right. players right. miss layups, you know, <laughs> it just, and nobody says anything. Nobody, and even you know, like working, even, even in like working in a live TV environment, fuck ups happen all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And even that, like a lot of the people who we work with would have benefited from working in TV first because yes. it, it is just, it's not the end of the world to screw up a full screen or a lower. You just fix it. Um, and again, it goes back to the, you know, those grave shift, graveyard hours and working overnight. And I get like, patience runs thin. Um, and it's easier to, to get angry at someone when you don't know them, right? Like if I didn't know you or had any interest in knowing that you needed to catch a train or needed to, your commute was hellish or brutish or, no, you know, that you had a baby at home that you have to go home and get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Like if you don't know those things of the people you right. work with, it makes it easier for you to be like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot. You know, like this guy's a moron. How can he get this right? You know what? Let's fire this guy or let's not give him the good, quote unquote, good shifts or the prime shifts or, you know what I'm saying? It makes it easier, but it, it that's kind of the the environment we operated under and a lot of, and it's like that in a lot of places, but it's also like not like that in a lot of other places. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like but, there's a lot. What, of, you're preaching to the choir right now. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, um, um, and it's and it's changing, man. And it's like there, there's uh, the, this this quarantine, this coronavirus pandemic is a perfect example of. I work for Verizon Media. Um, before any mandates, before any of the New York um, uh, work, work, stay at work, shelter in place kind of orders came down. They already mobilized. They told everyone get external hard drives, copy all the footage because you don't know when you know, gave, gave everybody laptops to be able to work from home. I have my own setup, so I didn't need it. But um, just the effort to to mobilize a workforce and to mobilize a work crew. Um, but beyond that, it's the effort to kind of keep everybody calm and kind of just say, hey, you know, the work will be here. I don't care how long it takes for us to give you media. The work will be here. Um, you guys will know when I know. And it was just the level of humanity um, that was very much appreciated. Um, we were pulled into meetings and kind of just told, um, just reinforcing the notion that 
our safety was the number one priority. Our safety was was the most important thing outside of the work being done. And number two, you know, ensuring that we kept working, kept a steady paycheck was the second priority. Well, listen, this might be the worst transition because, you know, this is a real <laughs> thing that's going on here. Um, but, you know, I do have uh, some more stories before I let you go or just curious okay. on your take. So you mentioned building up this capital, too. Um, I remember reading the L.A. Magazine article on Yasiel Puig uh, escaping from Cuba. And that was in 2014. I have it up here, April 14th, 2014. And, you know, I didn't know the guy. I knew he was a hot prospect coming up for the Dodgers at the time. Um, you know, in 2012 and 2013, and then obviously he, he storms onto the scene. Um, you mentioned about you're doing all the legwork pre-production wise. Um, when you get the call that you're going to interview him for the first time, um, I understand why he wants to be guarded. Um, I've never gone through that situation, but, you know, I can't imagine what the things that he's seen and the things that he's done and heard and all that. Um, for you, yeah, you speak the same language, but you're still a stranger to him. So how does, you know, how does he become accustomed to you or how do you go about building a bridge so you can have an amicable work relationship? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And that's, um, uh, that's a very, very difficult thing to, you can do all the prep work you want. You can do all the reading and you can know every little detail about, you know, a professional athlete before you set foot in their house. But if you are not, and I hate to sound like cliche or whatever, but if you're not like genuine and upfront about what your expectations are with them, um, particularly a young player, particularly a player who is coming from this country, from a, not this country, is coming from a different country, who's learning the language. Um, I'm not going to go there and say, hey, look, I was born in a different country too. I speak Spanish too. You know, I'm your, I'm like you, because that's not how you... That's not how they're human beings and that's not how they operate, right? That's not how anyone operates. Um, yes, commonalities and, and speaking the same language and being comfortable are, are, are important. But if you're not honest and upfront about what it is that you are there to do, right? And if you don't take the time to, to, to first of all, treat them as like human beings. Um, when I first got there, um, the first, so a little bit of backstory. I told you how I got, I got told that I was going to be sent over there. We, uh, <coughs> there was, um, excuse me, there was this fascination with him already prior to um, me even thinking that this shoot was going to happen or anything. We, um, when we, everyone in the office was like just blown away and enamored by this, this, you know, this comet that hit Major League Baseball that year. Um, we had a wall with like Puigisms, right? Where we, mm -hmm. where we were like, um, just kind of telling like these, like these jokes about how wonderful Puig was. And, um, excuse me. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, it's just all that stuff was like super funny and it kind of just like snowballed and everyone had like this fascination with him. And, um, when I got the, the, the the production gig that we were going to do it was a Caldwell Banker basically him showing off like where he relaxes and where he lounges and um when I got there um his girlfriend opened the door very very nice very very friendly and he was upstairs showering and we waited like 45 minutes which is not which is not that long if you because we have to load in the equipment and get the gear set up and we we figured out a nice place um, to do the interview. And while we were doing that, he was upstairs showering um, and just being patient and waiting for him. And the introduction is always super important and, you know, just laying it all out, like what it is that we're going to do. Um, most athletes, when you're doing a production within the season, their, their off time or their downtime is so limited that you never want to take more time than you need. Um, that's not to say you, you, you won't ask them to do something again. Um, and that's kind of like the balance um, when, you're, when you're doing these shoots. You kind of know what you, basically you, you're producing in your head how the piece is going to know, look and what you're going to need as much as you can. Um, maximizing um, the content um, with as minimal time as possible. So he gets there. I introduce myself. I tell him a little bit about what we're going to do. 
Um, we'll do the tour first while they're setting up lights and the other camera. We'll take our, our, our roving camera, get B-roll of him kind of, you know, and and he took us to, you know, his pool, his backyard, his dog, and he took us to the game room, um, which was like half a room with just a flat screen on a wall and a couch. That, is, that was it. <laughs> that was his game room. Um, so I, 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 so I, I knew that he liked soccer. I knew that he was a big soccer fan. And I knew that he played FIFA. Um, so when we got there, um, I go, I'm playing stupid. I was like, oh, you, you play? What games do you play? He was like, oh, man, FIFA is really the only game I play. I knew that already. So I was like, oh, are you? And then I start joking with him. I was like, yeah, come on, FIFA, really? You're a baseball player. You, why are you doing playing FIFA? And um, he was like, oh, no, man, I'm really, really good at FIFA. I was like, come on, man, you you cannot be that good. You're a baseball player, still kind of joking <laughs> around. But by then we had already kind of gone on the tour and he kind of like, we made a couple of jokes and kind of just, he was semi-comfortable. And so then I start joking around about how there's no way he could beat me in FIFA. So he kind of like gets serious and like like snarls at me. He's like, sit down. And like he's, at least I sit down. <laughs> I sit down, he turns it on and he was like, what team do you play with? I go, um, oh, I, at that time, I was like, oh, I play with Manchester United because I got to have my guy Chicharito, um, who's a Mexican <laughs> soccer player. I go, he's like, man, you, oh, man, you can't play with man, you. He's like, if you play with man, you, I'm going to play with Real Madrid. Like, you can play with whatever team you want. I'm still going to beat you. And um, he got like so like amped up. Like you can tell he's a professional athlete. The competitive juices were flowing. He got so like wired. He's like, oh, he like sets up the game. Leaves the room, runs out, goes upstairs, puts on his Real Madrid soccer jersey, and runs back downstairs so that he could play me while wearing his jersey. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, so he, um, we play one game. He beats me. And we play a second game. I beat him. And then the third game, he just, like, destroys me. It's like 5 or something. But he was, like, uh, like bouncing around. And that's where you get kind of like, all right, this is fun. But that crew over there is waiting. And now um, the camera op is telling me that he's ready. Um, so it was a gr great way to kind of like break the ice a little bit. Um, his his girlfriend took a picture of us playing and she ended up like texting it to me or whatever. Um, and um, that was it, man. We broke the ice by playing FIFA. It might be just kind of laying it all out there. It wasn't because... You know, we were both immigrants coming to this country. It wasn't because, you know, we were both Spanish speakers. If I were like to speak English, it would have been the exact same thing. It didn't just, you know, finding a common ground and a common interest and kind of being genuine enough to kind of, um, you know, just approach him about it. I did the uh, we same thing happened with these two prospects that I, I, I do a podcast with. It's literally the exact same thing happened. It wasn't like planned or anything. We showed up and we were shooting a little bit of B-roll and um, Jazz Chisholm, who is now with the Marlins, but used to be with the Diamondbacks last uh, spring training when I worked with, and then Lucius Fox, who's with the Rays, we were there and I wanted to get a little bit of B-roll of them kind of playing video games or whatever. And they were having trouble uh, syncing one of their remotes. So I grabbed the remote, I like turn it was an xbox i would like sync the remotes or whatever and they were like like looking at me like i was like what i was like i i, I you know i play xbox all the time with my son and they were like laughing or whatever and it just like that little tiny little thing because i didn't want them to get up because they were already you know lit up they were the lights were set up the labs were on so I was like no no i'll do it and it was just that tiny little thing that kind of like you know, open up a door of like, you know, commonality and, and, and kind of sparked a friendship. And we've done like, we've done a podcast, uh, Tim and Masters, the host PBL podcast. And um, they're from the Bahamas there. It wasn't, they don't speak Spanish. It wasn't anything, but they, it was just something that kind of, you know, it, 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 it's this moment of honesty, this moment of kind of like they, they, you bridge a gap with someone and you take the time to kind of like talk to them and on an equal level that, uh, super duper important uh, i want to get to one last thing too yep. um you mentioned jose fernandez early on too he was the reason why i got mlb.tv at yeah. the time um and obviously i was heartbroken like the rest of the world when we found out he was in that accident 
Um, what are some stories that you can share about him? What was he like? Because at least on camera, he always seems like a very likable guy, very approachable knock around guy. So what, what did you see out of him off camera? He, he was, he had this innate ability to make anyone that he came across um, feel like they were his best friend. And that's a, that was a, a, a thing that made people fall in love. It's like that magnetism, right? You always hear that word like magnetism and like light up a room kind of a situation, right? And um, and I, so I've been around baseball players. I've been around like, you know, you know, football players. I've been around like, you know, celebrities that were on TV. I fucking, you know, I did Making the Bad. I was around like fucking Jennifer Lopez. And my, but I never like felt like I'm a New Yorker. Like you see fucking celebrities all the time. Like not, it's right. like not a big deal. It's like that's how we, that's how you are. But with him, it was more of he was like so nice. And he like the way he treated and approached everyone, um, that just made everyone kind of like just drop their guard around him and like try to talk to him like you were his friend. And I worked with him since freshman, his freshman, his rookie year. I did that first feature and kind of like my MLB.com field production kind of, you know, career, quote unquote. Um, overlap with his because he was the first production that I worked on and then subsequently I worked on every single Jose Hernandez piece that we did for MLB.com any remote feature that we did that involved him I was a part of uh, that's two you know five-hour energy commercials that's countless you know sponsored content pieces um, a drive along with him in, in Miami you know the background the, the whole feature about his background and his grandmother and his grandmother coming to the States and um, all these different things that we did with him. And he made me, he treated me as if he, A, knew me, B, like cared about my well-being and was so happy to see me every time he would see me that it made me feel that we had a relationship, but we didn't, right? Like I wasn't his friend. I didn't have his number. I didn't text him. Um, but he still made me feel like I was his friend and legitimately happy to see me every time we would work together. And I was in San Diego for the all-star game. And at the all-star game, they would do these parties where, um, they later on became a little bit infamous in terms of, um, um, I won't get into the details, but, <laughs> um, this, uh, this party was in San Diego. Um, and I was sitting with, I was standing with Tim McMaster, um, and a couple of the, the managers for MLB. And, uh, I knew he was coming cause I bumped into his rep. Um, and, and I was like, Oh man, what's going on? You're going to go to the thing. You're going to go. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be there. He said, but nothing compares to Miami. He goes, we're going to go, but you need to get ready for Miami next year. And there he was, he was joking around. He was like, you need to get ready. Cause he's like, we're going to rent the house. And. He's like, you're going to make sure you come. I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll be there, whatever. So I knew he was coming. So I'm standing and uh, with my back to the door. And my friend Dave Caputo, uh, Tim McMaster, and a couple other people. And somebody goes, oh, shit, there's Jose Fernandez walking in, right? And I'm, like, drinking and, like, checking my phone. And then he's, like, walking because, like, where we were standing, it was towards, like, the VIP area. Um, and I'm standing there. And Tim's like, oh, shit, there's Jose Fernandez. And, like, that's when I was about to turn around. And he grabs me in a fucking bear hug, picks me up, and, like, literally off my feet and, like, shakes me. He's like, Raz! And, like, I'm like, like, who the fuck is... And then I turn around, it's Jose Fernandez. And, like, again, like, we are not friends, right? In my mind, we were friends. Uh, we worked a handful of times together, but it didn't warrant that sort of kind of embrace so to speak as one of my favorite memories because it, it just and again he had that ability to like make you feel in love feel like you were his friend and like falling in love with him because of his like just good nature and just like this 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 just niceness right like this niceness about him that um then you throw in the fact that he was just this phenomenal baseball player this right. phenomenal picture that um, 
was going to be the face of baseball. I mean, he was uh, fully bilingual, perfect English and Spanish speaking, um, good looking athlete. In like he owned the spotlight whenever he was there, full of charisma, full of like this, this just energy that, and again, it just, and he had that ability to have people, you know, feel special around him. And that was something that I've never experienced with any other baseball player before him. And I don't know if I'll ever experience that with anyone um, ever again. Yeah. I can't believe we've been on the, you know, over Skype for about an hour and 15 minutes now. So I, I really appreciate Yeah, I, I do talk a lot. So I apologize for that. I do no, uh, tend all, to talk a lot. <laughs> it's all, but the thing is, it's all substantive. And I've learned a few, I mean, I always learn things when I hear you speak. So I've learned even more. Now. I just wanted um, to talk longer than Ted. That's it. I wanted to lo- <laughs> talk longer than Ted's 44 minutes. So um, there you right. go. <laughs> now, listen, Roz, I've always appreciated you having my back. Um, what you've done for me at MLB.com and, and even at MSG Varsity, where you don't even know, just instilling the confidence in me as an editor, because I was certainly very, very, very um, nervous and gun shy to to be um, to go the extra step early on. And you were always there. Um, you were always there for me when I did my VO. So I owe a lot to you. Uh, I appreciate it. And, you know, I'm sorry I took you away uh, on a Monday night, but but I really appreciate everything you've done for me. No problem, buddy. Um, and again, likewise, man, it was, uh, it's always a, been a pleasure working with you and just chatting with you. And, and you're a very, very talented individual. There are very few people who can do what you can do. And um, I have no doubt in my mind that you will succeed um, in whatever goals you set forth for yourself because um, you're pleasant, you're knowledgeable, and you're very hardworking and both things are short supply these days so um uh, again it was my pleasure to not only chat with you but also to be a co-worker and your friend um so uh, uh, i'm sure we'll we'll cross paths in some other endeavor 